want to share with you something for a few moments today. I don't know how long I'll be. Uh, I say this often, and I really mean it. I don't intend to be very long today. Um, and with that, I'm probably going to be two hours. But uh, I, this season that we're in, uh, even though, and I don't mean to, I don't want to get into a theological discussion today, or I don't want to burst anybody's theological bubble. But uh, it's a very easy, very simple um, search to uh, conduct to find out that Jesus was not born on December 25th. In fact, he wasn't even born anywhere near December 25th. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of searching to figure that out. Um, but that being said, this time of year is usually a time in which we stop and we ponder or we talk about or we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And we often sort of reflect on his life in a way. You know, Easter, we sort of reflect on the death and the burial, the resurrection of Christ, which is beautiful because we know exactly the time in which it happened for that period of time. But usually Christmas is the time we, 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 we guess, I guess maybe the best way to put it, we focus more on the humanity of Jesus, the the, the child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and sort of this idea that this young, uh, sort of unknown baby uh, to the world grew up to be the Son of God, uh, the Savior of the world. And we sort of ponder that. And it, it doesn't take much uh, biblical knowledge. It can take just a, a, a brief uh, reading of Scripture, reading of the Gospels, before you start to sort of um, come up against sort of this um, somewhat interesting phenomenon, if you want to call it that, that took place during the time of Jesus Christ. Because uh, f for three years that we, three and a half years that we know of, even though that Jesus lived roughly somewhere around 33 and a half years, I don't know if anyone can precisely say exactly how long, but most scholars can uh, have come to the conclusion it's somewhere in that 33 to 34 year mark, give or take a few months, that Jesus Christ walked this earth. And we now, because of Scripture and because of the declaration of the Word of God, know that he, who he was, right? We know John is very clear. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know who he was. We know G, who Jesus was. And when we look back on that time period, we look back on, on that time period with the knowledge that we know who Jesus was. Uh, is and who he was at that time. And so when we do that and we kind of go back to that period of time, we take that knowledge with, with us. And it doesn't take much when we begin to look at the narrative of the story of Jesus Christ and sort of the, the way that it kind of unfolded, that you start to sort of ask this question and sort of ponder this idea and to look at this sort of wild phenomenon is how can the God of the universe be wrapped in flesh. How can this, how could God himself, the man Christ Jesus, God robed in flesh, how could he have walked the earth and people not recognize who he was? Right? We've asked that question. Maybe you've even pondered that question yourself. And, and that's something that if you read scripture, it's kind of hard to, to wrap your head around. I mean, there's one scripture beginning um, that we find in Mark where Jesus returns back to his hometown and he's speaking these words with authority and power and wisdom. And 
kingdom declaration and the, 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 the reflection that Mark gives us is that they could not understand how this man could speak with such authority because he was Joseph's son. And he had sisters and brothers that were in the town and he was just a carpenter. How can this one? And we go, wow, that's amazing. How could they have missed it? Why didn't they see it? How did they not know? And we sort of look at these things and we sort of ponder them and, and, and we, 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 we try to grasp this idea Right, we use the story. There's a the very famous story in Scripture of the of Jesus uh, 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 calling a dead man named Lazarus out of the grave. Right there, he speaks to Lazarus to come out of the grave. Lazarus was resurrected. In fact, he was so dead. The Bible says he smelled. And when he came out of uh, the grave, he was wrapped in grave clothes. So it wasn't like he had just died and then all of a sudden he had been dead in the grave. I think it was three days, something along those lines. And so it was at the point where his body actually had started to decompose. And so this was an amazing story. And, and in that story, there's, some, there's a, a, quite an interesting dialogue that takes place between Jesus and two sisters named Mary and Martha. And at the time, he was very close to the family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when you read the narrative of the story, you know that they're more than likely they were orphans. Uh, they, their parents had either passed away uh, in some, some way, and they were left as orphans. And they had some, some semblance of... Of, of, of social standing because the crowd and the city really came out to mourn Lazarus' death. And so we know that there, this was not a normal family, but Jesus uh, somehow had befriended them in, in, a, in a very intimate way. And so Jesus is away with his disciples, right? You know, most of you know the story, so forgive me for telling it again for those of you who have, aren't as familiar with it. So Jesus is away with his disciples and word comes that Lazarus is sick and he's about to die and Jesus does nothing. He doesn't jump up and freak out and run and like, oh my God, I got to save him. He just basically says, you know what? He's going to die. He's asleep. And when he shows up eventually to uh, the home of Mary and Martha and they come and they meet him, uh, their first words out of his mouth their mouth was, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. It was sort of like a backhanded declaration of faith. God, we know that you could have done it, but you weren't here, so, you know, you blew it. And Jesus gave one of the most beautiful responses to, uh, it, to this sort of uh, mixture of faith and doubt. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Basically, he was saying to them, you mean to tell me if I wasn't here, he wouldn't have died? Do you think that anything is too big? He may be dead, but I'm still the resurrection. If I'd have showed up here when he was sick and I'd have healed him because I'm the great physician, do you not forget I am the resurrection and the life? And so Martha says this, and then Mary comes out and says the same thing. He gives the same response. And, and when you read that story, you go, my goodness, how can these two girls, how do these two women miss this point? How did they see Jesus perform miracle after miracle and then doubt it? And then this, 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 the narrative continues, and they go out. They go, right before Jesus resurrects uh, Lazarus out of the grave, they go out to the, to the graveside, where the tomb was, and uh, the, the crowd is there, and they're all mourning. And the Bible says it's the shortest scripture in all the Bible. It's uh, two words, Jesus wept. 
and I've heard many people give their interpretation on that. And, and uh, my interpretation, when you read that and you look at what it means to weep, it wasn't a weep of sorrow. It was a, 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 it was a weep of agony. And you say, well, he was so distraught because of, of what they were feeling. I don't believe that's why he was crying. Because if you look at the context of the entirety of the story, he was crying not because Lazarus had died. He was crying because they couldn't see who he was even after all that he had done, they still hadn't found the revelation of who he was. And he wept. It's like me sitting here today, uh, this morning, with a, with a giant plate of food today, and, 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 and sitting here this morning with, a, with, with, with uh, you know, eggs and grits and bacon and sausage and a biscuit and, and jelly and, and a glass of orange juice. And, and, and a stack of pancakes and I have this whole spread in front of me and me just sitting here the entire time complaining about being hungry. Going, man, I'm really hungry today. Boy, I'm starving. Man, I wish I had some food. I mean, you would be blowing up the uh, comment box today. My God, just eat. It's right there in front of you. What, are you. what are you doing? How do you not see what's in front of you? It seems so obvious. And so because of that, we take this idea that you know, if I was there during that period of time, I would have not been like that. I would have, I, I would, have, I, I would have been one of the ones that probably would have been. I mean, I would have been all up in Jesus. I mean, I would have been right there in the thick of it because I would have known it was Him. But I've meditated on that this week and pondered that a little bit this week, and the Lord sort of let it sort of, sort of churn in me. I'm not exactly sure that's the way the story would have been. You see, it's really easy for us to look back and judge Israel. How could Israel have missed the fact that the Messiah was there? How could they have crucified the Messiah? I mean, did they not realize this was Jesus? How did they miss it? Assuming that somehow we would have been different. One of the probably most popular Christian, uh, probably popular Christmas songs today, and it's a very beautifully written song, is the song Mary Did You Know. Tremendous song. I, 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 it's a beautifully written song. I've heard it sung many times in alive. There's beautiful recordings of it done. A lot of you probably it's on your top five songs of the season. I don't know how accurate it is biblically. Because let me show you something here in scripture. I'm not here to bust the Mary did you know bubble. But we do need to go to the Bible here for a moment. Luke chapter 2 verse number 8 says. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the, God, of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid then the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of david who is christ the lord a, a savior who is christ the lord and there will, and this will be a sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger and suddenly there was an angel there was there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. 
So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they, were, they, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And in verse 19, But Mary kept all things and pondered them in her heart. Mary kept all things and pondered it in her heart. What were the, all the things that Mary kept and pondered them in her heart? We sing the song, Mary, did you know the blind would see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap again, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb, the beautiful song. Mary, did you know? I think Mary did know. Now, I'm sure she was human, and I'm sure there were times where Jesus, being God robed in flesh, got on her nerves a little bit. I'm sure there were times of struggle. But don't forget, it was Mary at the uh, wedding feast when Jesus was sitting there and they had run out of wine and he, she basically goes up to Jesus and said, hey, look, you need to take care of this. And he says, woman, it's not my time. You, you, need, to, you need to leave me alone. And she turns and gives one of the greatest responses ever. I, I mean, literally, this is just one of those. The Bible actually can make you laugh. And this is one of those ones when you read it, you just got to laugh because it is just such a mother thing to do. And she goes, basically turns to the guys and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I guarantee you, if we could have videoed that moment, I would not have been shocked if Jesus did not give Mary an eye roll. If Jesus wasn't like, all right, mom, all right, you know what? Why did she do that? Because she knew. She knew. Mary did know who her baby boy was. But we, we look at the story now and it's, it's a beautiful question to ask. Mary, did you know? Because it's sort of, kind of, in some ways, and I'm not knocking the song. I love the song. I'll continue to listen to it. It's not about saying the song is wrong and stop listening to the song. Let's, I'm just using it as an example. Please, I can tell some of you like, no, don't destroy the song for me. I love the song. No, no. My point I'm making is it's easy for us to say, Mary, did you know? And, and kind of ask this question because in some ways it puts us a little in a superior position because we can kind of say, but we know who he is. I know who God is. And then we look at these people and I go, how could they have crucified Jesus? Or how could they, I mean, Jesus was in your city. How would you have known how would you have not known this was God? I mean, if I'd have saw Jesus, you know, five loaves and two fishes, I would have never doubted him. Or if I would have seen Jesus resurrect Jerry's daughter, I would have certainly never doubted him. Or if I'd have seen the woman with the issue of blood be healed, oh, I would have, I would have been there. I would have been a believer. And then we look at the story of the twelve disciples, right? These men that had spent uh, such an intimate and prolonged period of time with Jesus during that three years of his ministry and we know one of them went squirrely and ended up being the catalyst by which Jesus was crucified but we have at least 11 and what happened when Jesus went to the cross what did they do they freaked out 
We got the main guy, the leader of the pack, denying he even knew Jesus. And then we find them after Jesus' resurrection. The Bible gives us where their location. And they're held up in a room with the door locked because they were afraid. And we go, oh my goodness, how could these guys have done that? Did they not know that Jesus was really resurrected? I mean, he had told... We come with this idea as if somehow, some way, we would have been different. Somehow, some way, we... We wouldn't have been like that. I mean, I would have definitely have not been like that. But I want to take it further today. And on this last live stream of Sunday morning live stream for Antioch West of 2019, I want to challenge you with something. Instead of asking Mary, did you know? Or how did they miss it? Let me ask you this. Do you know? Do you know? And before you answer that with this emphatic, of course I do, or yes I do, let's take, a, let's take a look at the totality of your life. Let's look at this from a moment here. Before you, 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 you give such a response and go, well, okay, I already know, this is easy, of course I know who Jesus is, check, let's off, next Something else to do. Let's go make some Christmas cookies or let's go watch a movie because I already know the answer to this. I've got this. Before you do that, I want you to stop for just the next 15, 20 minutes and truly be honest and look at your life and examine your life for a moment just with the same lens by which you examine the, the people of Jerusalem and Israel at the time. And we examine all those who came in contact and brushed shoulders with Jesus Christ. But in the end, we only had 120 who lasted to the upper room after he had healed tens of thousands and resurrected the dead and healed the blind and the lame and cast out devils and did all this wonderful things and fed 5,000 and fed 4,000. In the end, it was 120. And we're for certain, I would have been in that 120. I know I would have been. But can I ask you this today? Are you sure that you would have been there? Before you make a declaration of your intent, it's easy to say it when you look back at the story, but let's look at your life right now. You see, there's a scripture in the Bible that is quite interesting that I don't know if we believe quite to the extent it is written. But we know this character in scripture by the name of John the Baptist. If you don't know who John the Baptist was, a brief description of him was he was the forerunner of Christ, right? He was sort of this semi-crazy guy. He was dressed in, a, in, in camel hair. He's out in the desert meat eating locusts. But there was something sort of charismatic and dynamic about him enough that he was drawing large crowds, massive crowds, outside of the city into the wilderness to hear his message of repentance. And he had created a massive following, even though, I mean, this guy was a little, little, little off, if you want to call it that. I mean, here's a guy who's dressed in camel hair, eating locusts, yelling and screaming in the, uh, in, in the, in the wilderness out in the middle of the desert. And he's so dynamic and charismatic that people are traveling from outside the city to go hear him speak. And his message wasn't a very flowery, cupcake, uh, love and peace type message. He was really pe preaching a message of repentance, of change. A powerful, dynamic figure in Scripture, in fact, became the catalyst 
on which Jesus Christ entered the scene because it was to John the Baptist that Jesus first revealed himself in his full glory as the Lamb of God because he shows up to John the Baptist and John the Baptist declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was John the Baptist who was the one that baptized Jesus Christ. It was John the Baptist that was standing beside Christ in the water when the dove descended from heaven and the voice from heaven cried out and said, And this is my beloved Son in whom I well please. I mean, this dude was right there. He wasn't just some peon. This was the guy that, that you have the honor and the privilege of, of, of baptizing the man Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a significant place to hold. And this was the man who was chosen by God to be the, the, the opening act, if you want to call it, of the man Christ Jesus. But there's this scripture in the Bible that sort of, is a head scratcher to a lot of us. And we say we believe it, but I, I don't really think we believe it at all. And that is the Bible says that he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. There's no way we believe that. So before we get too high on our horse of, well, I would have been different or I would have treated it. Let's just look at really the way things are right now. Because let's look at some of the major figures in scripture that we know of. Like these are the top of the list, guys. These are the like the bottom ring. These are the major players. We got this guy named Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've got David, Joseph. I mean, these are some major, major people in scripture. Moses, Noah. These are not the guys at the bottom of the pinnacle. These are the guys that are at the top that helped shape the entire narrative of Scripture in the Old Testament. And when we look at them and we see the power of God and the communication with God, and we even look at the beautiful story of David and King David and all that the fellowship he had with God and all the things that God did in and through his life and all the things that took place in him and what an amazing man he was. And even though he had some struggles and he fell, but it was, it was a beautiful story of the, of the love of God. It was a beautiful story of the mercy of God. It was a beautiful story of how you can find redemption and restoration in the forgiveness of God. And this is a wonderful man. And we look at all that and we go, wow. But we read it as if that same God is a far off distant thing. I said this before, but I'll share it with you again. Uh, in COVID, at one point, it was, it was maybe a couple months into COVID. Uh, we were sitting around and, and um, we had decided with our kids, we were trying to, because um, at the time, you know, we weren't, there was no real spiritual uh, opportunity for our children. We were in the midst of trying to figure a lot of this out. And so my wife and I uh, wanted to kind of have opportunity to teach them some biblical truths on their level and share with them things. So we decided to use the, the, um, the, the, the mini-series that uh, I think the History Channel produced called The Bible. And uh, we, we started watching the Bible. And, it, you know, it, it's not, I don't know if it's completely 100% accurate. There's some things in there that are a little bit of head-scratcher. But I think the spirit and the intent of it is close enough that kind of gives you. And it's good because it's visual and 
more on the level of the of of a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old at the time and so it was a good kind of conversation starter so we were watching this and 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 we got through the story of Abraham and then we got to him taking Isaac up to the mountain and started seeing these major patriarchs of the faith and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden it just it it hits me just I just get overwhelmed and flooded with this all that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God that lives in me. And I realized something. How in the world can I stand with a clear conscience before God and declare that I would have known if God, if I was there during the time of Jesus, I would have known. But yet I have him living. I have his spirit living. They didn't even have his spirit. They didn't even have the power and the spirit and the authority of God in them. They were just observers to this place and time in history. They could have benefited from it. They watched them healed and some of them were healed. They were fed. They got to benefit from it, but they didn't get the same thing you and I did where we have the spirit of God or the access to the spirit of God in us. They hadn't felt the power of baptism washing over them and cleansing them and making their sins white as snow. They hadn't felt that yet. We look back and go, well, I, if, if I was there, I, I would have probably never left Jesus' side. I would, have, I would have never left, never, never, I would have never missed. But yet when we look at our life, can we really honestly say that we're much different today? Do we know? Do we know? When, when, I, when I listen to Christians speak, when I listen to people who profess to believe in God and we're filled with more stress and anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and all kinds of things hitting us at all times. And we have the God of the universe. We have the master of the wind. We have the one who calmed the storm and the seas. We have the one who said, let there be light. We have him living in us, but yet we can't even sleep at night without some kind of artificial help because we're so overwhelmed with stress. But yet somehow we think if we were there during the time of Christ, we would have known. But yet when we look at our life now, is there any evidence that that would have been a different narrative? Because we see all of it and we're inundated by all of it, but very few of us truly have peace. Very few of us have joy. Very few of us really live with righteousness where we feel righteousness. Very few of us are really surrendered to the will of God where we let God run our life every day. Most of us are filled with fear. Most of us live like we have, we're, we're in control, trying to make sure all of our life is in control. Most of us live with, with stress and overwhelmed and depression and all these things, but yet somehow we think, oh, we would have known back then. But my question is, forget if you'd have known back then. Do you know today? Do you know today? Before you sit there and you tell me, I know, let's look at your life right now. Just look at the fact. What are you carrying? I talked about it several weeks ago. You're carrying stuff today. You're carrying burdens. You're carrying weights. You're carrying sins. You're carrying things that you don't have the answer for. You're carrying things that are stressing you, that are overwhelming you. And you have the God of all heaven and earth that's available to you 24-7, 365, just at the mention of the name. And you can't stop for five minutes and say, God, I give you this. But yet somehow, if you were living then you would have known but now you can't just say God here it is 
Forgive me for my passion for a moment, but somebody's got to hear what I'm saying and got to be honest with yourself before you point fingers at them and say, how did they miss it? I'm asking you to point a finger at yourself and say, how am I missing the fact that God of heaven and earth is here in me? Why should I worry? Why should I fret? Does that mean I'm not going to have a bad day? No, I'm not saying that. Does that mean I'm not going to have moments of fear and doubt and worry? No, I'm not saying that. But my question is, when that happens, what do I do? Where do I run to? What do I do? Do I go to my own abilities, my own intellect, my own, my own to change it? Or do I stop for a moment and say, God, you are the great physician. God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the author and the finisher. What do I do? Because how I respond. You know, that's the beauty about adversity. Adversity very rarely ever causes things in us. Adversity usually reveals what's already there. Adversity usually reveals things. For, I said it for COVID. You know, COVID started when COVID came along and, and, and it was a really difficult period of time and everyone's sort of like, you know, COVID's done this and COVID. And, and one day I'm in prayer and, and it just sort of, the Lord kind of dropped this into my heart. COVID didn't cause one thing. COVID just exposed what was already there. God allows adversity in our life to bring things that are hidden into the light. Why? Because he wants to change those things about us. He wants to help us with those things. It's easy to, to, to live with no fear when everything in your life is able to be controlled and you've got no problems and no difficulties and no 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 uh, worries and you're paying your bills and you're healthy and your your relationships are strong and your family's together and your kids are okay and your spouse is good and all the things of your life your jobs all these things in your life are perfect and that's sort of what we chase right we chase all of these things we want the perfect house the perfect car the perfect life the perfect this the perfect that because if we can get all of these things lined up then really in a lot of ways we don't need god one of the most sobering scriptures of all the Bible is when uh, the warning came to Israel after they had been in slavery and they had been in the wilderness walking around for 40 years and they had just been in this extended period of time uh, of really adversity and struggle and, and, and the, the warning came to them, listen, here's the problem. When you get into a place where you were living in houses you didn't build and you're plow and you're reaping from 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 land you didn't plow and you didn't plant and you're 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 in the land of milk and honey be careful that you don't forget god sure enough the scripture is very clear that within just a short period of time of this prosperity the bible says there arose a generation that did not know god it was easy to trust and rely and need him when you were trying to get up every day and you didn't know if you were going to eat or not. And, and the only way you knew to eat is if you went outside and there was this thing called manna on the ground and that was your only substance for the day. And for 40 years, that was your only lifeline to food. But now you're living with abundance and you grew up and you know not God. We live in a, in a country, we have problems, inflation is, I mean, my goodness, Every time I go to Walmart, and I say this not to be negative, I don't know how anybody else shops, how y'all shop anywhere else, but, you know, some of these bargain places, because it's, we, we, we go to Walmart, we're Walmart shoppers. If you're in Walmart, you probably see us, we'll wave to you. 
We've seen actually some of you in Walmart. You know who I'm talking about. We go to Walmart and, and when you go to the register and you're buying like just some snack food and some things for dinner and you ring up and you go, my God, I'm not buying a car. I mean, you look at the price, you're like, dear Lord, what did we buy? And that's a stress thing. And, and um, I know there's some things out there right now that are stressful. But in reality, we live in a very prosperous country. We live in a very blessed country. We live in a time and a period of great prosperity. And the greatest challenge we have in that prosperity, in that blessing, is that we become a generation that forgets God. You see, we have learned how to navigate that by putting God in our pretty little packages wrapped in a beautiful bow. We put God in areas of comfortableness and ease. We, don't, we make sure he doesn't ask too much. In fact, we like it when we talk about God adding to us. We don't really like the fact that God's challenging us for more. We don't really like the deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. We like scriptures like all these things will work together for good, even though we don't really understand that scripture, but it sounds good. Or we like, I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. So whether I'm not a football player on Sunday, Sunday, playing for the NFL, making millions of dollars, I'm going to declare that scripture. Or as the great Ray Lewis, the linebacker for the Ravens said at one point, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Because I'm sure when Paul wrote that, he was thinking of playing linebacker from the Baltimore Ravens and making sure that you can break somebody's neck by tackling them when they have a football. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to inspire someone to win the Super Bowl. No weapon formed against me. But that's what we made God. God is a genie. He's a lucky rabbit's foot. He's something we should have because having God makes our life better. But yet somehow we look back on this time period of history. Mary, did you know? And we go, of course we would have known. But do you know? Do you really know the God that's in you? Oh, I'm sure you're telling me right now. Of course I do. But if I would look at your life in total and I was to look at somehow open up your mind today and read your thoughts and to look at the totality of your life from day to day, would I really See a life where God is the central thing. I'm not saying you don't have God in your life. I'm not saying God is not a part of your life. But I'm sure there is a portion of which you have learned how to coexist. But there's very, there's some signs you can easily, not getting in this today, but there's some signs how we spend our time, how we spend our talent, how we spend our treasure. If you just look at those three things right there, you can quickly find out who really believes all of this. Because our time, that's my time. My treasure, I worked hard to get that. And I'm not just going to give it away. And my talent, it was God-given. But ultimately, it's helping me get to where we take ownership of these things and all these things are pointing to one thing, do we really know? Let me ask you this. This is not to beat you up. It's a challenge more than anything. 
if we really believe it, how much time do we really spend communicating with him? Some of you remember I preached this message years ago in Arnold when we were pastoring in Arnold. And I've referenced it many, many times. When we talk about heaven, we often refer to the beauty of heaven, you know, streets of gold and, you know, mansions that we can all hang out in. You come over to sit at my porch today and I'll come over, we'll have a barbecue at your house tomorrow. And heaven has become sort of the quintessential Beverly Hills, the ultimate retirement community. Man, if I could just get there to heaven, everything's going to be great. I'm going to have my mansion. But in reality, when you read the story of heaven and really what heaven's like, there's really one central thing that is heaven and what makes heaven. And that is to abide with him. And we say things like, man, I just can't wait to get to heaven so I could just sit at his feet all day. I just can't wait to get to heaven so I could just, I could just fellowship with him. But in reality, right now, if I called a prayer meeting, very few of you would show up. If I ask you right now, let's all pray the rest of the day, some of you would last five minutes, some of you would last 50 seconds. There's a few of you who may last a little while, but very few of us would last any period of time because we would get distracted with things and we would start to wander and our eyes and our distractions and our short attention spans would start to creep in because ultimately for us, prayer's not, prayer's not exciting enough. It's not entertaining enough. It, it's not enjoyable enough. I mean, who wants to talk to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for more than five minutes? Who wants to convene with the creator of the universe more than, you know, 10 minutes? Who'd want to do that? But I love them with all my heart, mind, and strength. But you know, I got a lot of things to do today. See what I mean? Do you know? I'm not here today, and I don't believe the Lord put this in my spirit today. I know it's the holiday season. I know it should be a time of joy and happiness and, you know, oh, just marshmallows and hot chocolate. Not what you expect today, expected to listen to today. But today's more of a challenge. It's a great opportunity to take inventory of your life. We're heading towards the end of a year, and even though... I don't, I've said this before, I, I don't believe God puts a bunch of stock in our calendar. I don't believe God's sitting up there going, oh man, I can't wait for January 1st, 2022, because I'm telling you what, on January 1st, 2022, it's about to go down. I'm telling you what, man, you guys, hey, Gabe, Mike, come over here, dude. You got to check this out. They don't even know. January 2022, when that ball drops in Times Square, it's going to be amazing. I don't believe God is all about that, but he does understand our frame. He does understand our humanity. And a lot of us, the ending of one year and the birth of a new year feels like it's an opportunity for us to start over. It feels like it's an opportunity for us to start something fresh, to challenge ourselves in a greater way. But all change must first start with a self-examination. All change must begin in here. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, 
be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, which literally means to remodel your thinking, to truly change. That's why many of you may start in 2022 a desire to diet, to lose a few pounds. And there are some that would be successful and some that may not. And one of the greatest differences between those who are successful and those who are not is there's some that diet and they deprive themselves of food, but all they ever think about is what they're missing out. And there's some that to them, it's not a diet. It's a change of lifestyle. And the ones that change their lifestyle are the ones that are successful. The ones that simply diet, they may have a little moment of success, but eventually they're just going to go right back to where they were because to them, it's a diet. But the ones that are successful are the ones who change their lifestyle. It's no longer about what I don't get to eat because to me, I'm not depriving myself. I've changed. I don't sit around all day going, man, I, I can't do this and I can't do that. and I don't want to do that. I can't go there. No. If you get married and that's and you spend all your time thinking about what you can't do now that you're married, your marriage is going to be extremely doomed. When you get married, you don't sit around thinking what you can't do because you are wrapped up in what you have in front of you, what's available to you, the intimacy, the relationship, the connection, the everyday life you have with that person you love. It's sad today, Christians are arguing and wanting to know what, well, what, what, what really is right and what's really wrong? What can I get away with and still God be okay with? What, 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 what really, what, what is it out there? To, is that really wrong? Or, or do, do we really have to do that? All of that, you know what? Ultimately, it's irrelevant. Because if I fall in love with Jesus, if I get connected with him and I live in intimacy with him, he'll guide me, he'll lead me on what I can and can't do, but it won't be a stressful thing. It will be natural. It'll be easy. Can I challenge you at the end of 2021 and on the dawn of 2022, can you fall in love with Jesus all over again? Can you sit in awe of the fact that you have the God of heaven and earth inside of you, living in you, available to you 24-7, 365? He's there when you wake up. He's there when you go to sleep. In the middle of the night when you wake up overwhelmed and stressed and worried, filled with fear and doubt, he's there. He's there when you see him, but he's there when you can't see him. He's there when you feel him, but he's there when you can't feel him. In the words of Job, he knows the road that you take. He knows it. I challenge you, before you judge and say, I would have known, ask yourself, does my life today reflect that I know now? My wife read a post yesterday that was challenging. I'm going to take it and tweak it for a moment here in this context. We're called to show the world Jesus. But can I tell you, the world is challenged and changed to a far greater measure by how we live our life more than the message that we preach. We can say all the right things. We can preach all the right messages. We can say all the right things. But the world is not watching what we say. The world is watching what we do. 
That's why it's really hard for us to make impact in this world because we Christians know how to talk the talk, but very few of us walk the walk. We talk love. We, sh we say love is the basis of all we do, love, forgiveness, acceptance, but yet most places of Christian base are filled with judgment, condemnation, rejection. We say God is a God of peace, but more Christians worry about things, stress about things. And the world looks at us and go, wait a minute, you say you guys are different, but where is it? And some of us go, well, it's different because look at the way I'm dressed. And they're like, that, that doesn't work. Your lifestyle doesn't preach. It's your heart, your attitude, your actions. How do you handle things? When you, go, when you have a bad day and you go to work, does the world know that you're having a bad day? I'm not saying you, you have to hide it and be some you know, bubbly person all the time. But when you're having a moment of crisis, how do you respond? Because that preaches more than you saying, hey, you know what? God is great. But when your life is not going the way you think it should be, how you'd respond. I have failed. I'm not saying this because I have it down. I've failed many, many times. I've struggled many, many times. But every day, Lord, by your grace. Last week, we were challenged to wait on the Lord. Last week, we were challenged to continue to wait on him. And in that waiting on the Lord for his direction, the challenge that came to us in the Holy Ghost was to intertwine ourselves with him, to, to get wrapped up and interwoven with him. That's where we come from. So I challenge you today, this is maybe part of that, is that do you know? Because it's very easy for us right now when there's not tangible things to put our hands on. It's Christmas. It's holiday. It's easy to get wrapped up. So my point is, over the next couple weeks, moving into the 2020. Where are you at in your connection, your intertwining with him? You know, it's amazing. That doesn't mean you're going to spend the next two weeks fasting and praying and getting up every morning and you're just going to find yourself, oh, God, oh, God, cancel my Christmas plans, cancel my dinner, cancel everything, take back all the gifts. I've got to seek the Lord. If he tells you to do that, for goodness sake, you better do it. But I don't believe God. My wife and I have been in a season the Lord has led us in of rest and refreshing. And God has blessed us with that. If you walked around, you may not see us calling down fire from heaven. But we've been living in rest and refreshing because we've been led. He said, he leadeth me beside still water. He restoreth my soul. When he's doing it, there's fruit from it. When we're doing it, it's we gain, but we want more. So do you know today? Father, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I've shared with those that are watching and those that will watch, I've shared with them what you've put in my spirit. I've tried not to add to or take from that. But Lord, I pray that these words today have not been my words. These feelings have not been my feelings. I pray that this was spoken today has come from your heart and that it has penetrated into the hearts and lives of those that are listening that the fruit that comes won't be fruit for Antioch West, for the glory of Antioch West, or for the edification of Joel Wright, but the fruit that will come is a drawing closer to you in intimacy because you're desiring to know us and you're desiring to have us know you. We wait on you, Father, that we can draw close to you, find strength in you, 
as we grow in intimacy and connection with you every day. And for those of us that don't know how to do that, show us the way. Lead us. Some of us don't know how to do that, God. We, we, we really sincerely want to, but we don't know really what that means. But God, you are the great teacher. You can lead us if our heart is sincere. You'll guide us in the paths of righteousness. I pray in Jesus' name that you would have this word deeply sunk into the soil of our heart today, that we would water it and that it would grow to bear fruit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, let your will be done in every life and every heart today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.